Do you have big ears? Anyone got big ears? I see a few nods, actually. Well, if you do, I've got some bad news. Because your ears never stop growing. Did you know that? It's, apparently it's your ears and your nose. They never stop growing. So if you've already got big ears, you're in trouble. Um, <clears throat> I remember when I was younger, just, just sitting in church and looking at some of the older gentlemen and just just amazed at the size of their ears and it was just this wonderful sign of wisdom and I was like wow someday maybe I'll have ears like that <laughs> uh, of course the trouble is it's like well your nose is already getting there so uh, I'm, in, I'm in trouble uh, why am I talking about this well <clears throat> I think there's a parallel with the Christian life because we should never stop growing as Christians we should be like the big ears and the big noses in the future. We, we never stop growing as believers. Uh, last week, Wayne started off uh, our series by helping us think about trees. <clears throat> what sort of tree are you? Thinking about the life cycle of a tree and what it means to, to grow and show fruit and be rooted in Jesus and always to be growing. Uh, and that's kind of really what, what these early uh, chapters in, in Thessalonians are helping us think about. Uh, we, we saw uh, in the first chapter, chapter one, Paul gives thanks for their faith. Uh, he wasn't able to spend long with the church in the book. If you read Acts 17, uh, you see that. Uh, what happens is he goes there, <coughs> but uh, the, these opponents sort of stir up a riot. He has to leave really fast uh, and get out of Thessalonica. But while he was there, uh, he was, he, he, you know, shared the gospel with his team, uh, and this church was, was uh, founded. And this is like a, a kind of letter after hearing the good news from Timothy about how the church is doing. So, you know, it's a church of quite new Christians, new believers. Uh, but actually, they seem to have a really solid foundation. They seem to be growing well as believers. Uh, and actually, what this passage today helps us think about is how they were made disciples, and it's actually really appropriate because it's helpful for us as a church. It's helpful thinking churches all over the world, <clears throat> whether we're here in Kenilworth or in the Middle East, wherever, wherever we are sent. Uh, it's a helpful kind of model from Paul in terms of how disciples are made. So if you look at verse 1, you see that he says that when we came to visit you, that we, we got results. <clears throat> it was not without results, sorry, is what it says. Uh, and, that, and that's what happens as we move to chapter 2. He talks about how kind of his, his ministry with the people, uh, how he acted. Uh, and so we're going to look through some of the key things uh, that he did. Uh, and I've kind of, the first heading is how Paul made disciples, which is a little bit simplistic perhaps because of course he had a team with him. You see it's Silas and Timothy were there. It, it wasn't him alone, but it, I thought it was a catchy heading, so that's why I went for it. Uh, but... How, how Paul and the others made disciples. There's four things we see here uh, to draw out quickly. And the first, oh, the first is already up there. Uh, through bold proclamation. Through bold proclamation. See verse 2. It talks about how they previously suffered. They'd been treated outrageously, but then they, they dared to tell the gospel. That's what it says. Um, and you can go to Acts chapter 16. You can see what happens there. Um, they are beaten. They are arrested. It's that amazing story where they, they get put in prison uh, and the gates open miraculously and you think, wow, they're bound to, to, to escape. And they stay put. Uh, and the Philippian jailer becomes a Christian because he cannot believe 
uh, he can't believe you know what, what they've shown of their faith. Uh, so that's what's happened to them in the past, and they're, they're set free, and they come to Thessalonica. I don't know about you, but if that was me, I'd be very tempted to kind of just take a couple of weeks off, just have a you know have a bit of a rest, maybe recover from a beating, that sort of thing. That's not what they do. You see, it says no. With God's help, with His strength, they dared to tell the gospel in this new place. Yes, there was this, this opposition, but they, they just couldn't stop proclaiming the good news. And I think it's just wonderful, isn't it, to see that real confident proclamation of the gospel. Their faith is so strong that they've been changed by the reality of the, the forgiveness of how Jesus died to save them. Uh, like, like we heard, uh, you know, the, the difference that Jesus makes is such a huge thing. Uh, and we see it in their lives that they cannot stop sharing the good news, even if they're, they're, they've got a lot of opposition against them. They've got much deeper, greater confidence in the power of God to work. So they proclaim the gospel boldly. And if it's great to see some visitors here. If you're visiting us this morning, if you're, I don't know whether you're a believer or not. And if you're not, and I just want to encourage you to, 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 to look at the Bible and, and look at what it says about Christ and his love for you. It's a wonderful thing to, to, to consider uh, his love, his forgiveness, his mercy. You can come to him today. Paul, uh, the next thing we see Paul does is this. He pleases God rather than other people. He pleases God rather than other people. Now, uh, the kind of context of the time, um, in cities like this, there would have been visiting speakers, visiting philosophers to come in and kind of just, you know, set themselves up and teach what they want to teach and try and bring in converts, bring in money for themselves and basically be people-pleasers. They, they came to, to flatter, to, they kind of would trick people. They'd say whatever was going to be the right thing to say to, to get people on their side. Ultimately, they were greedy, maybe after money or after power. It's actually quite similar to what we see today in sort of tele-evangelists and, and many people like that who preach a false gospel uh, and tell people what they want to hear. They abuse their position to make money for themselves. So it's kind of, there were similar things happening. And as Paul says, that I want to be really clear, that isn't what I was doing. That isn't what we were doing. He doesn't want to be tarnished by that brush. Maybe because he left so quickly, he was only there for a, for a short time before this riot happened and he had to leave the city. Maybe there were people saying, that he's, he's just like all these other guys that just, that, that they disappear off and they, they never come back. But, but Paul is very different. Do you see, see, let's just look through and see what he does. Verse 3. The appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. It's not error, it's the truth. That's what they've come to share. They're not making things up for their own benefit because we see them suffering. They're, 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 they're passionate about the truth. They're not trying to trick people. They're not trying to deceive. They're not doing it for impure motives. They trust God to work. Verse 4, they, they said, on the contrary to that, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. See, that's why they speak truth. They speak truth because they serve God. That, that's the, that, they're there to serve him. He's the one who's given them this, this amazing message of truth and, and, and mercy. They don't want to please people. It's easy to do that, but actually, no, they come to please God. To, uh, to, to, to do what God wants. 
And you see why at the end of that verse it says that he tests our hearts. That's a real test, isn't it? You know, anyone you can say whatever you like, but what's going on inside? God knows that. And he's basically God God will back us up. God is our witness here. He goes on in verse five to say they never use flattery, they don't cover up greed. That would be really easy. If you've got a big crowd of people, it's very easy to try and keep them on your side and compliment them and say the right things. Paul does not do that. He says it as it is. He speaks the truth, whatever the cost. He doesn't hide his motives. And he says that God is our witness. God is, is, is the one who's backing us up here. They could have had authority. Verse 6, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. You see, again, repeating it, showing how important it is to understand they're not here to to get praise from people. They wanted to do it for the praise of God. They are messengers of God. They're his apostles, it says. They speak with authority. They could have come and sort of stamped their authority down. But they don't do that. They trust God to work. His motives are pure. So he doesn't please people. And then he goes on to talk about how they cared like a loving family. They cared like a loving family. Instead of that authority, we see at the end of verse 6. The next thing he says, no, we were like little children. <clears throat> it's the opposite, isn't it, of, of a sort of domineering authoritarian. They were gentle. They were humble. And then as if like the image is just sort of carrying on his mind, it goes, even more than that, we were like a, a nursing mother caring for her children. It's this real intimate image of, of, of motherly love and care. And Paul says, that's the attitude we have with you as a church. That's the depth of love we had for you. It goes much deeper than just a message. Do you see it says in verse 8, they, they shared not just the message of the gospel, but they shared their lives. That's really, really important. I think that's, that's a key thing to try and grasp. That's something we want to be doing together as, as believers. I guess it's kind of the difference between, say, a small startup business, uh, you know, where, where you kind of you start from, from nothing and you're there as a small team and you're in it together, you spend lots of time together, you get to know each other really well. And, uh, but then, of course, I know the, the opposite end is like a sort of big glo- global corporation. You've got no idea who the kind of leaders are. You maybe get an email from them uh, from time to time. Uh, there's a big difference, isn't there, in those sort of relationships. And, uh, and what we're seeing here, Paul's saying, no, church is not meant to be like that kind of disassociation, that, that disconnect. We're supposed to share life together like a family. It goes much deeper than just a few hours on a Sunday, a few hours in a week. It's, it's family connection. And you see that because it's not just the care of a mother. You see verse 11. We dealt with you. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is, these are strong words in the Greek, the encouraging, the urging. It's kind of real stressing the importance of living in the right way. And you know, it's saying that that's something that a father should do with his, his children. There's a difference really, I guess, kind of, I'm thinking of me and my, my kids, if we're just playing in the garden, you're just having a bit of fun. You say, well, why not try this, try that? It's kind of just... Uh, nothing particularly serious but then if they're in danger going towards something really hot or sharp or they're going to fall off something and you know you, you, you suddenly get much stronger you urge them to not do that live in the right way you know to, to not make those mistakes 
And that's what Paul says, as a father, we urge you to, to live lives worthy of God, to live for God's glory. So he saved you from the depths of your sin. You want to live in a way that pleases him in response. And in the midst of that, you've got encourage and urge, but you've also got comfort. And that's almost, a, it's, a, it's a really gracious word because it's got this sense of, you know, when we fail, it's that moment of comfort, of, of, of reassurance and saying, look, it's not the end. Pick yourself up, you can keep going, you can, you can improve in future, you can keep growing. So we try and do that with our timeouts when the boys are naughty. You know, they're, they're very sad, they get told off, they get put on the door, doormats. But then afterwards, we sit them on the step and we sort of try and comfort them a bit and say, look, you know, we love you and we want you to do better. And it's that kind of, that, that's what Paul's saying, that when, when we mess up, when we all do, there's this comfort, there's this encouragement as a church family to, to, to press on, to keep honouring God, keep doing, keep going. It's kind of good, isn't it, to see those family relationships. Remember, one of, our, uh, the, one of the things in our vision is worshipping God as family. I think Paul's unpacking a bit of that here. This is what it looks like to do church as family, to have those sort of motherly and fatherly care for each other. It's, there's gentleness, there's compassion, but there's also kind of encouragement and, 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 and spurring each other on. Spending time together as a family, that's something we should be doing more of, I think. And then finally, living honourable lives. You're kind of in the midst of that section, verse 9 and 10, he talks about how he and the others with him lived. Verse 9, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Now there are other places in Scripture where he talks about actually when it's a good thing to support people uh, devoted to ministry and, uh, and to provide for them. But actually here he says, no, actually, look, I'm, I'm earning your trust there and I'm showing my care because I'm, I'm working hard to earn enough for myself. I'm not putting the burden onto you. Maybe that was, again, in response to the others around, maybe, you know, looking for money, looking for power. And he's saying, I don't want your money. I want you to know about Jesus. I want you to know his love. I want you to come and hear the truth of the gospel. And that's, I think, what the church saw. Verse 10. You are witnesses. And so, God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. It's like, you saw, you saw that we lived differently. They were holy. That means a kind of devout life, being devoted to to God. They were righteous, they were blameless. I think, you know, we know from other points in, in Scripture, that doesn't mean they were without sin. Because we all struggle with sin. But it's perhaps recognising that and, and acknowledging that and showing their desire to live differently and living to please God, but repenting quickly, turning back to him. I think it's backing up you know, what they taught by living out what, what they were teaching, showing what they believed. They lived honourably. They, 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 they earned that favour, that trust. Not just because they said the right things, but because they kind of did the right things too. They, they backed it up with their lives. Quite a picture, isn't it? Those four things that, that kind of how Paul made disciples in that in that city, how he did these things oh, uh, with the others, of course. I think it's kind of just very clearly like living and breathing the gospel. Everything kind of saturated with his love for Christ and his desire to make Christ known. And I find that really challenging. <laughs> it's a real challenge uh, for us. I think it's a challenge for 
the elders, uh, who, those of us who are elders of KCC, who, who are seeking to lead the church family. We need to ask ourselves, are these things true for us? Where do we need to grow? Where do we need to develop? Are we living and breathing the gospel together? Do our lives back up our teaching? Do we share the gospel with others? Do we care like the mothers and the fathers uh, in this passage? Are we pleasing God or are we pleasing people? I think there's something we're meeting this week. We should, we should pray about these things and think about that as elders. But of course, it, it goes much wider than that, doesn't it? It's a challenge for, for all of us in the church. This is, this is Paul not just saying that I did this, but you don't. But it's like, I, this, I, I showed you what it meant. I modeled these things so that you would do them too. <coughs> you would do them too. He's setting a pattern for the church to follow. And if we always want to be growing as Christians... This is some of the ways we do that. It's how we grow together as a church family. So have a think about that. How bold is your proclamation? Is it easier to remain quiet because you don't want to offend people? Do you share the truth of Jesus when when that prompt from the Holy Spirit comes? Do you live to please God? Or or do you have more of a tendency to care about what other people think? It's, it's, It's easy, isn't it? Because, you know, we know that God sees our hearts. But we also know that everyone else kind of sees what we are on the outside. And that's the kind of, we want to look good to other people. We want to impress people. We want people to like us. So whether we're sharing the gospel, whether we're encouraging each other, are we working hard to avoid the kind of flattery or the selfish gain, the things that are going to puff us up rather than give glory to God? You should think about that. It's been really encouraging for, for me and my family, and, uh, and it's been good to hear of others of, how they've been welcomed here at KCC and just the, the warm welcome they've received. And that's, that's fantastic. I'm so, it's been a great encouragement to, 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 uh, to see the love that we have for each other as a church. But let's be honest, that's the kind of easy bit, isn't it? To love each other on a Sunday and, and, and show that it's kind of initial loving and caring. But what about when it's harder? What about when we need to go deeper? When we get hurt or when we really need to show grace and, and mercy? It's hard, isn't it? And we need to, that's something we should pray about and seek to grow in as a church family. And are we living honourable lives? Are we living lives that are worthy of God? Are there places we need to actually fight and battle our sin more strongly? Are there things we need to give up and sacrifice? Uh, because actually we need to prioritise our worship of God. Uh, there's loads here, isn't there? There's lots to think about. I just want to encourage you to Maybe just take that away with you and seek the Spirit's guidance and pray about it this week. If there's a friend in the church that you can talk to about it, then seek them out, pray with them. But actually the passage doesn't stop there. You see, it goes on to point out a couple of ways that the church responds to, to Paul's ministry. So let's just look at those, those briefly. Because what we see is basically we see living proof of God's growth. Living proof of God's growth. Firstly, in how we see God's work it's God's word at work in their lives. A bit of a tongue twister. God's word at work in their lives. That's verse 13. We also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. I remember a friend from college sharing his, his story of how he came to faith, and he said it was just this moment he, he picked up the Bible and he began to read it and it's as if Jesus just walked off the pages of scripture into his heart that's how he described it just kind of a real kind of came to life for him moments 
I think we see that happening. That's what Paul's describing here. They heard the gospel. They heard the truth about Jesus. And they just knew it was the truth. They knew it was more than what these other speakers, philosophers were saying. That was just human wisdom. They had this deeper truth that God was speaking to them through his son. God was showing the world who he was, who he is. His, his salvation plan, his rescue plan. And you see, as they accept it as the truth, you see what happens? It worked in them, that they grew. God's spirit uses the truth of his words to bring change in their lives, to help them live, live for him. So that's kind of really good to see, isn't it? They, they respond to the truth and it changes them. And a key aspect of that is how we see they are willing to suffer for the gospel. Look at verse 14. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limits. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Now, when I first read that this week, I thought, it sounds really almost anti-Semitic, doesn't it? The way he's really anti the Jews is how he describes them. Is Paul just you know, really hating all Jews here? I don't think so. You'd be pleased to hear. <laughs> uh, but it was, a Jewish, it was the Jewish community in Thessalonica that caused the initial trouble in Acts 17. And I think he, he's speaking, you know, he uses the Jews as a title, as a shorthand, really, to, to kind of talk about the groups that were really persecuting Christians and showing opposition to the gospel. I mean, we see Paul's heart in other places in Scripture, and he wants, he desperately wants his fellow Jews to be saved. He, he would, you know, that, that's his heart. So, yeah, I think he's speaking more of a specific group here. When he talks about the judgment they've received, I think he's thinking of some specific moment that maybe they've experienced. So don't, it's worth saying that, I guess, but I guess the point is to, to not miss the key point, which is that the church were, were suffering in the same way. People were persecuting them because they were following Christ. Their faith was clear. They knew the truth, and, and they showed that. They backed that up because they stood firm against the opposition they were experiencing. So you see those proofs. You've got being changed by the word of God and then standing up under persecution. And those are helpful again, aren't they, and challenging perhaps for us. Do we expect God to work through his word in our lives? Uh, do we make space in our week for God to, to do that? Maybe going to our home groups and, and reading God's word together. Spending time in expectation as we come to God's word on our own. Thinking about how you listen to a sermon, <clears throat> even if it sounds as if it's being read out by some dodgy Siri at the minute. Um, how do you listen? Are you engaged? Are you, are you taking notes? Are you thinking about it later? Are you expecting God to speak to you as we come to his words? Are you expecting to be challenged? Are you expecting to kind of want to apply it to your heart and your life? I know it helps me and it helps, I'm sure it helps others who are preaching when you can see people are, are listening and, and, and try, taking it in. I had a friend in my old church who just always, like whenever you looked at him, it was all encouraging. He was just sort of, his eyes were fixed on you. He was listening, he was taking it in. And it was, it was great. It was encouraging to, to, for, for that to happen. Of course, I say that and everyone's looking at me now, so that's a good sign. <laughs> 
But that's the thing, isn't it? God, God has spoken to us through his, his son. And we know that through the word that he has given us. What a privilege it is to be able to sort of read it in our own language and, uh, and for the spirit to work through that and, and for us to see that truth. So let's, let's approach his word with thankfulness, with expectation. But there's also a challenge here, isn't there, about suffering for Christ. Maybe that feels far off for you. I'm sure it doesn't for our friends who are moving to the Middle East shortly. I mean, that's, that, that's a reality, isn't it? That, that, that we'll be praying for you and I'm thinking about that because that's a reality. But actually, even in this country, maybe if you work for a university or if you work in a school or in hospitals and those sort of public places, it's definitely starting to feel, you know, a bit harder to share your faith, isn't it? There's questions about how open you can be. Maybe fear of saying too much and getting into trouble. How do we work through it? How, how are we ready to be bold when that prompt from the Holy Spirit comes and, and it's the right moment to say something about Christ? Are we ready to count the cost in those moments? It's really hard. It's not, not an easy thing, but it's, I think it only comes when we know Christ really well. It's like, actually, it's worth any cost to know Jesus. If we're ready to count the cost, and then what an honour it is, I guess, to suffer for the Lord Jesus. Something I know I need to work on my own heart and prepare myself for that. It's a helpful passage, isn't it? It's challenging. Like I said, there's lots here. Will you pray that you will be like someone with big ears? <laughs> someone always growing. Always growing in your faith. Always growing in your trust of Christ. Living for his glory. Uh, I think it would be really good it's a shame we haven't got a home group this week to kind of drill down into this passage again and maybe try and think it through so why don't we just take a few moments now just take a a quick moment to to scan over the passage and see what maybe God's prompting you to consider maybe take a note write something on your phone write something on paper just to to prompt you to to pray and think about later Uh, let's just spend a couple of minutes in quiet doing that and then I'll, I'll pray to close Father, I do pray that you would speak to us as we look again at your word here. We we thank you for all the the riches this passage contains. And it feels like we're just sort of scratching the surface and and there's so much more to consider. But I pray that you'd prompt us as individuals to to know what we need your help with to to grow. And, And as a church family too, where we need your help to grow. Please, please be at work in our hearts, we pray. Amen.